Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry, uh, Larry Kay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, August 17, 2016, and today we're reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are uh, currently on page 90, reading from the last paragraph on page 90, which uh, starts, if he does not want to see you. Um, Today's readers are, we have Cheryl S. on the 12 steps, we have Nadia B. on the 12 traditions, and the readers of the text are Deb W., Amy G., and Hoodie R. The reference number for yesterday, uh, Tuesday, August uh, 16th, is 9003. That's 9003. The OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You, Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can indeed recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So let me now ask Cheryl S. if she would be kind enough to read the 12 steps. Cheryl, good morning. And Cheryl, if you'd press star one to unmute your phone, that would be great. Yes, good morning, Larry. Cheryl S. from Maryland. Good morning, family. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and a power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you so much, Cheryl. So let's move on to the 12 traditions. Hey, yo, Nadia, can you read the 12 traditions? 
Good morning, everyone. This is Nadia B., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Leader in Connecticut. The 12 Traditions of Leaders Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for a membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive reader who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought to never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to never be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OAS as such ought to never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought to never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Beth. Thank you, Nadia. Okay, here's how our meeting works. Um, our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we're discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There's no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. And we're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute your phone And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we're going to pick back up in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are currently on page 90, the very last paragraph, which starts, if he does not want to see you, I hope he wants to see me, but if he doesn't want to see you, that's where we're at. Um, And I would now ask, Deb W. to begin reading. Deb? Hello, uh, Larry. This is in group. This is Deb W., Oklahoma. Um, I'm assuming that I can be heard well. Um, You can. Okay, thank you. If he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. Neither should the family hysterically plead with him to do anything, nor should they tell him much about you. They should wait for the end of his next drinking bout. 
you might place this book where he can see it in the interval. Here, no specific rule can be given. The family must decide these things, but urge them not to be over-anxious, for that might spoil matters. Usually, the family should not tell, try to tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. Approach him through a doctor or an institution is a better bet. If your man needs hospitalization, he should have it, but not forcibly unless he is violent. Let the doctor, if he will, tell him he has something in the way of a solution. And what these two paragraphs remind me or make me think of is that position that we uh, place ourselves in as a helpful tool to the alcoholic or the addict, the food addict that, um, you know, we have the opportunity to share our experience with. And um, it, it's, I think it's really touchy when it comes to, I, I'm just thinking of myself and how I would have felt uh, if my family, first of all, had, you know, was recommending anybody to me because I would have been very um, suspicious and very, um, you know, not open and, and thinking that they've probably already told everything they think about me. And 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 having the experiences of uh how they had treated me with my um uh, addiction my issues and all of that in the past and here they're trying to push another idea down my throat or bring somebody in you know that you know is biased but you know the thing about it is i think the wonderful thing about is this phone line is that we really don't know for the most part, uh, each other, uh, when we contact each other or when we start helping each other. And so that puts us on one footing that is, you know, just really great and wonderful because there is no bias. There is no, you know, I don't know you and you don't know me. And so we first start together with our phone conversations uh, by usually, you know, somebody, I've heard you on the line or, you know, and so I've contacted you. So I know the message a little bit, uh, the message sometimes that you give, that you have, uh, you understand my dilemma. You know, a total attraction is what got me into the program. I heard a story. I heard somebody, and at that time we passed pictures around, and I saw the pictures of someone that's sitting right here before me, and they look like they had the physical trans. Uh, transition, which that was my most interest. I was interested in that more so than anything else at the time in first few meetings. But then as I listened to them talk, and they're talking it to a group, in my experience, they're talking to a group. So it's, it's not like they're convincing me, they're telling me their story. So their experience. And then I had this book that is telling me the solution, you know, it's not a person that's pointing at me and telling me what you should do. It's all attraction. There are messages that are being transmitted to me through spiritual, you know, because this is a spiritual program with a spiritual message, through the spiritual that is connecting inside of me with my, you know, I can identify in and I can, you know, uh, I'm interested, I'm curious, and that's what gets me connected. Um, you know, and, and, and I still have to take a position of this is what I have to offer. That You know, I will walk with you through the big book. You know, 
I will give you my bits and pieces. And if you decide, if you can identify if there's something that you are interested in about it, then, you know, let's go, let's do this thing, you know, and it's a different approach. Uh, and that's what attracted me. And that's what helped me to get the recovery and, and with this outcast. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. So mm-hmm. just before I open it up again, we're on uh, page, Deb read from page 90, the last paragraph. Um, she read two paragraphs and our comments are going to be on both paragraphs. So who would like to Janice, Janice M. Tina S. Okay, I got Chrissy, Janice, Tina. Who else? Anybody else? Okay, we'll start with uh, Chrissy followed by Janice. Chrissy, good morning. Good morning. Hi, I'm Chrissy, recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic from New Jersey. And I just, I enjoy taking people through the steps in the way that I've been taught more than um, when I previously learned about the steps. It was it was sort of like it was more like therapeutic and talking about their life story and and I it wasn't I didn't find it so I didn't find it so helpful and I didn't I didn't find for me that that experience created the effect that the book says that it it should create but yet when I was brought to through the, the work in the way that the big book says it was less complicated, definitely less writing. I wrote for eight I wrote for eight months the first time. So I'm so glad to have had this experience because now I know how how to do it in a way to hopefully elicit an experience in people. And I was talking to my friend about that this morning, my prayer partner, because I'm a teacher and I'm getting back in the classroom in September. And, you know, the whole thing is that I have no control of the outcome of what happens when when I bring this information to people, whether it's students or sponsees, potential sponsees, even people that, that I'm just convinced, well, convinced is a strong word, or just offer what I've, what I've gotten from this program and just offer, you know, help in, in in getting into the, the work, even if they're not sure they want to. So those people, those people and my students, it's very similar because I'm just bringing the information and facilitating and the experience that they have is up to them and God. And and it just takes, it takes the ego out of the equation. Hopefully, you know, I still fall back into, oh, I could have done it better and I need to try harder. But thankfully, I could do a 10-step on that. With that, I pass. Thank you so much, Chrissy. Next, we have Janice, followed by Tina. Good morning, Janice. Well, good morning to you, Larry, my friend. Um, This is Janice M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Okay, this is, remember, this is um, telling me, as a a sponsor, how to, how to take a, a prospect to, you know, through one upon, you know, them calling me up or whatever. And it says, if, so that's a condition. If he does not want to see you. Well, I had a call yesterday, um, you know, stating, you know, that they heard me on the, on the line, et cetera, et cetera. 
and they're looking for somebody with wisdom and blah, 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 and they're telling me how they want to go through this process. Well, you know, this disease is very, very powerful. It was powerful for me when I was in my disease, and um, it's more powerful than a sponsor. Remember, I didn't get recovered, nor did any one of us get recovered through a sponsor or through a meeting or through the fellowship. We got recovered through our higher power, finding that power. Well, <clears throat> it says not to ever force. Well, they're not in enough misery yet. I, like I said, I had this call, and they're telling me how they want me to stop sponsoring them by starting with four and five, and that's all they need. And, you know, I'm trying to explain my, you know, my experience, and they were getting very huffy and puffy, and um, they didn't like what I said. And, um, you know, and then I got a uh, they hung up on me, of course. And, um, <laughs> you know, they're not ready. They don't want to see me. They want to do what they want to do. And um, they're not in enough pain yet. I wasn't in enough pain at, at a couple of times. And uh, the reality is they have to be convinced. They have to hit a bottom again, you know. Um, I had to in order to stay alive, um, you know, that I would do anything that you wanted me to do. And you're the recovered one, so I had to follow directions. And, you know, I, I'm an ex-problem recovered. You know, I'm an ex-problem compulsive overeater. Um, but, you know, I can't make anybody do anything because I am no match for this disease. It's too powerful for me as a sponsor. Pain is the greatest motivator. I cannot twist anyone's arms. They must, must hit a bottom. They may have to want to do it so bad that no matter what I say, no matter what I do, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll just hear it, you know. Um, because um, I cannot control them. I can't control the outcome. I can't give them a higher power, and I can't give them the willingness. And we have to, I have to be careful that, yeah, I got a little anxious when he hung up on me. Did I get hurt? Well, a little bit, but I said to myself, yeah, you know, we are very ill people when I'm in the, we, myself, I was very ill. Um, upon coming in here and I just have to let it go it's not personal <laughs> and with that I pass thanks Janice um, okay we have Tina next Tina good morning good morning Larry uh, thanks for your service Tina S. compulsive eater anorexic in Florida and uh, you know what I really like about this part of the big book is, um, you know, this was written a long time ago, and it is in the family afterwards. And you know, for a long time, I never thought I affected my family at all. But uh, clearly, from these couple paragraphs, it talks about how the family early on was really looking for help for the uh, addict, drunk, or compulsive eater, or whatever we want to call ourselves here, or whatever we are. You know, and um, and today, you know. <clears throat> I don't have family necessarily coming to ask me to help um, their loved ones. And, and now that I just said that, that's not always the truth because sometimes I do have family <laughs> asking me that. But what I, what I do today, and I, I loved what was shared, you know, because, you know, my experience was I was done with my family telling me what to do and, and when to do it and how to do it. So I wasn't open-minded to nothing they were saying. So uh, when somebody came and had this thing, and uh, was walking and talking it, but was actually showing me what they were doing and how food no longer took up 
24 hours of their day, the obsession of it or the eating of it or the not eating of it. You know, I was ready to listen to that. I was ready to watch some of that stuff because that was something I could not do. You know, and they had that experience where my family, you know, a lot of them didn't have the same experience as I did. They had no issues with food, so why, you know, why can't I just put it down? Well, you know, they didn't know that there was an issue there. And, and you know, today, you know, I like the, second, the other paragraph where it talks about hospitalization, too, you know, because for a long time, you know, that's my own stuff, you know. I was like, oh, you know, we don't need to go to treatment. We don't need to do this. And that's, you know, that, again, is not my experience. I went to treatment. <laughs> but, you know, in my mind and denial, you know, I really do need to know if somebody is in a critical way, you know, that let the doctor be the one to tell them, you know, uh, what they can do. And today we have that um, in the 12th step of, you know, I work in a, in, a, in a doctor's office and, you know, I have information up front and there's all kind of information for people who have this thing. So you know, I don't want to ramble, but, you know, initially I thought, oh, there's not a whole lot to talk about here, but listen to me. So anyway, <laughs> thanks for your service, Larry, again, and uh, I'll pass. Thanks, Tina. To open it up, just I'm going to take, Janice got me going here. I'm going to take one minute. I'm going to set my Mary timer Kay? and I'm going to open it up. Mary Kay, yeah, let me, yeah, let me, uh, who else? Mary Kay, who else wants to share? Kim G. Lauren. Kim and Lauren. Who else? Shoshana Kay. Shoshana. Who else? Dana W. Dana, okay. Anybody else? Okay, let me take one minute. Here goes my timer. Janice got me going here. So here's the thing um, with me, you know, you know, we shouldn't be hysterically pleading with anyone uh, and we shouldn't force ourselves upon anyone here. When I was calling people for help, I had frosting in my hair and M&Ms up my nose. And you know what I mean? I, I, I was a mess. I was restless, irritable, discontent. And I, I was going to tell this person how to sponsor me what I needed what the hell did I know about what I needed, right? <laughs> but I was quite certain I was going to share that with everyone. And, you know, you know uh, there was going to be hell to pay if you didn't, uh, if you didn't provide what I needed. Because I want it now, Daddy. I want my Oompa Loompa. And, you know, the thing about it is, is um, you know, I, I didn't have the clarity of mind. You know, let me clean out the frosting in my hair. Let me... Let me, uh, you know, let me put the Ben and Jerry's down. Let me, let me blow my nose, get the M&Ms out of my nose. Let me take the syringe out of my arm. You know, of course I was restless, irritable, and discontent. Um, there's my minute. So, um, yes, I think these are good instructions. So let's, we got Mary Kay followed by Kim G. Hey, Mary Kay, you got some cosmetics for me? Good morning, Mary Kay. <laughs> good morning, Larry. This is Mary good Kay, uh, grateful, recovered. Uh, and recovering one day at a time, compulsive eater from Western New York. Um, I thought I'd volley in on this, uh, these couple of paragraphs, just because um, I'm newer to the program. Um, I always appreciate hearing uh, the wisdom of of the strength of recovery for you know years and decades. And and I didn't even um, well, God led me to a 12-step way of life. Not until I was 61 years old. It was, you know, a year ago last spring, and he led me there through a series of sermons at my church. But before that, with these paragraphs, the I can't tell you 
as my disease progressed and I went from 180 at high school to 220 by the end of college, by 260 after my first six months of marriage, to 320 by the time my first child was born, by to 371, 77, something like that, by the time my first son graduated from college, the disease was progressive for me and I didn't understand, but and so many times my family members sat me down just like an AA person and they had an intervention <laughs> and they sat me down and they pleaded with me and they told me and I wanted to stop. I, I knew they loved me. I knew they were trying, but I was, I was also angry and resentful and I just I, it, it didn't help to approach that way. I had to do it my way or no way. And then when I finally was led, thank you, God, to these steps, and I realized there was a solution and that there was hope for me and that, that, that I, I actually had a disease, I got my through first sponsor through the line, and I told her, you know, I've got a relationship with my higher power, I have for many, many years. I've done steps one, two, and three, so can we just go ahead and get started with step four? Does this sound familiar? Um, and my sponsor said to me, this woman said to me, no, we'll begin with the doctor's opinion. And I was willing. I was desperate. I would go to any length and thank Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for her wisdom and taking me back to the doctor's opinion and following her instructions. But it had to be when I was ready. And I also believe it has to be when God tells us we're ready and and that, that thinking together of all those pieces. So, you know, a little more than a year into this recovery process, um, getting healing on all three levels, spiritual, emotional, and physical, one day at a time. And I am so eternally grateful. And I just wish you all a blessed, blessed day. And I pass. Thanks so much, Mary Kay. And just a reminder, a gentle reminder to everyone, if you are not Kim G, um, please uh, mute your phone until it's your turn. Hey, Kim, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. Um, let the doctor, if he will, tell him he has something in the way of a solution, a solution. You know, I have to tell you, unfortunately, for many years, what I believed in Overeaters Anonymous is that we had a temporary respite. There was no solution. I was going to have to suffer one day at a time. And I just want to share some of my personal experience. You know, my first meeting in 1994, I came into a room where a woman was qualifying who was an incest survivor. There were three newcomers. The other two had sexual abuse in their history. And the entire meeting was about sexual abuse. And I left there thinking, I guess I don't qualify here because my father loved me and I never had sexual abuse and I didn't come back for six months. You know, someone that I worked with years ago um, was coming from AA and she went to a meeting and there was a woman there who was morbidly obese um, leading the meeting who said she had two weeks and she'd been in OA for 20 years and everybody clapped and she was kind of like, what's going on here? And the woman came up to her after the meeting and she said, okay, honey, this is Overeaters Anonymous. Sometimes the best we can hope for is just two weeks. You know, even recently we had some RN students that were asked, they wanted to come to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting and they contacted a friend of mine and we were panicked about what meeting they would go to because of what they would hear in some of our meetings. So what is so wonderful is that this book we have a solution and I just want to say, are we carrying that solution in the meetings? You know, a vision for you is a beautiful example, and just one of many, an example of a healthy Overeaters Anonymous meeting. And what does that mean? 
There are people in this line in whom the problem had been solved. They not only know about the solution, they did the clear-cut directions, and they are experiencing the solution. You know, I remember years ago, a popular saying was, save the mess for the sponsor and your message for the meeting. That's what I love about a Healthy Overeaters Anonymous meeting. You come in, you see shining faces. It's like Evie and Bill, inexplicably different. There is hope. There is possibility. Because let me tell you, I had five years of back-to-back abstinence, tool-based, human aid-based. I felt every minute of it. I went to bed exhausted, beating the food just one more day. I currently have five and a half years of of recovered, I don't know how to say it, abstinence that is effortless because I work the steps difficult. Steps very, um, I'm losing my train of thought. But I, I experienced today peace. I, don't, I experienced those 10 step promises. Let me have the big book tell you what I experienced. I have ceased fighting anything or anyone. I have reacted sanely and normally, and it seems to have happened automatically by doing the steps. I am not fighting it. I don't have to avoid temptation. I don't have to do people, places, and things and avoid my triggers. I experience neutrality. I am safe and protected. I am neither cocky nor I'm afraid. I have the solution today on a daily basis, and I wish that for everyone on the line. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. So we have Lauren next, followed by Shoshana. Lauren, it's your turn. Hey. All right. I hope... I hope my phone doesn't cut out because it's been doing that a lot. Okay, I didn't. I'm doing less than two minutes, Larry. You're inspiring to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, but okay. Lauren S. As in Sam, a recovered compulsive of reader from Pittsburgh, PA. Okay. Um, so, what's been really experience going through this chapter and then working it in my outside life after I put the book down is everything I'm deciding because they do they should be doing because that would be insane if they actually had cancer. I would never go to somebody with another life-threatening disease and say, how dare you for wanting to compulsively eat? Or like, how dare you for wanting to get sick from your cancer? So I have to bring more of how I reach you guys. I mean the difference between life Hey Lauren, sorry to interrupt you. My apologies. You know you're kind of kind of choppy, kind of cutting in and out. And I wanted to hear you. I wanted to hear you. You know what? How about this? Try to call back in if you can, and I'm going to see if you have a better connection, and we'll go on to the next uh, person. And then I'll, I might I'll come my, back to you. Can hear me better? Right. I can hear you better now. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And um, I know it's like crazy. Um, but that's life on life. That's just it is what it right. is. You know. Um. All right, so I'll just wrap it up by saying um, I'm taught by my great big book teachers that I have to be with the attitude of love and tolerance and showing them 
that I'm just here to help in any way I can. I'm not here to judge or to control how they get the solution. And I was, I was also taught that I'm not in the solution unless I'm doing step 12. And that blew my mind. I was like, what do you mean? I'm doing my amends. I'm doing my 10. But I'm actually not recovered and in the solution if I'm not doing step 12. So this is what it's about for me, helping the new guy, getting out of myself and being helpful and loving and tolerant or else I'm not going to reach anybody. Um, so with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Lauren. You came through real good towards the end there. So thank you for your share. Awesome. Okay, let's move on to Shoshana, followed by Dana. Shoshana, your turn. Hi, good morning. Can I be heard? You can. Great. Thank you so much. I love in the third paragraph where it says at the bottom that you should be, sorry, my glasses, you should be described to him as one of a fellowship, and I love that because this fellowship that, that we have here on Vision for You has really been the fellowship that helped make me turn around and be, want to be willing from all those voices of recovery and shares that I've been listening to for, for over nine months. And um, thank you, God, and thank you for the fellowship that I'm able to start sponsoring. And then it goes on to say as part of their own recovery. So that's where I, in, for me, I see my willingness coming in, like where I, in the end, no matter how moved I am and inspired by the meetings and how hard I work the steps, I still have to be willing to bring my higher power into the picture to do that set-aside prayer and to be open to new experiences every day so that I could be able to be humble and willing because it's my willingness to let myself not be the director and let God be the director that's enabling me to continue to do my steps 10, 11, and 12 and just so grateful for all the beautiful step 10s I'm able to do with, with you guys and just loving it and so enjoying recovery and just really working hard to keep it. And that's what I wanted to share. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shoshana. Okay, we're going to move on to Dana, followed by good old Amy G. Good young Amy G is going to read to us. Um, Dana, your turn. Dana, press star one. Hi, sorry about that. Good morning, everybody. Good Thank morning. you so much for your service. I'm Dana W., originally from Florida. I guess I'm a kind of a transplant here to Alabama, you know, home of the <laughs> covered dish dinners where there's a church on every corner and morbid obesity, even in the holy places. And, hey, yeah, I needed this so much today, y'all, because, well, you know, it's hard not to, for me not to say anything when I see people sprinting towards the cliff, you know. But but the last two days I have needed, well, I always find something that I, that I need, you know, from, from, from a conference. But it's like I really needed this because, I, there's balance. What I'm hearing is a whole lot of recovery and balance, which I need. And, um, you know, I can't, I can't rescue anyone. I can't, I, sometimes I just need to sit quiet. I let them, you know, come to me. And um, so, 
you know, um, yeah, this has been good for me. You know, I had to hit my own bottom myself, which I did incidentally this past December. Um, and I'm, I'm a grateful, you know, gratefully recovered now one day at a time uh, for eight and a half months back to back. And it's been awesome. Um, I can't force this message on anyone. You know, and that's what I've taken away from this. And so with that, um, again, thank you so much for letting me share. And I'll pass. Thank you, Dana. I appreciate it. Okay, we're going to move on to Amy G. Amy, good morning. Good morning, Larry. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. When your man is better, the doctor might suggest a visit from you, though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. See your man alone if possible. At first, engage in general conversation. After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit. But say nothing for a moment of how that was accomplished. If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles the liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. Wow, there's a lot in there. And uh, again, my name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Maryland. An awesome meeting. Thank you, Larry, for your service. What stands out for me is, but say nothing of the moment of how that was accomplished. If we read in how it works, it says, you know, if you want what we have, you know, we're going to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it, and what what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I think this is what they're talking about here, about saying nothing of the moment of how that was accomplished. For me, one of the most important things, and, and, and the reason why how it works is chapter five and not chapter one, and why Bill's story is right at the beginning of this book, is the process of identification, of identifying in. You know, when I walked into my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting, the most important thing for me to hear, I didn't hear the 12 steps. For the first time in my life, I heard someone talking about doing things with food that I had done. And I heard, had hope for the first time in my life because I finally, you know, the saying in the room is that this is a disease that tells you you don't have a disease. It's a disease that tells you, you know, isolates you and, and wants to kill you. I thought I was the only one who did the crazy stuff with food that I did. And here someone was telling their story about how they put food in the trash can and then went back an hour later and got it, you know, about going to the grocery store with a fake party list when all the foods they were getting they knew were for themselves. You know, these are things that I had never known that anyone else was doing. I was identifying in. And this is why we have Bill's story, the mannerisms, the behaviors, all that Bill did were things that I did. So I not only identified in, I had hope. And I love what Kim was saying at the, at the, about our meetings, because in most cases, we don't need to go out there and look for people. We, we are in Overeaters Anonymous meetings where we need to be carrying a message where people can, one, identify in and have hope, hear a solution, and see recovered people. And if you're at a week meeting, bring a big book and start talking the big book message. Be recovered yourself and share the message. 
But as we come, as we come to a meeting, people identify in. That's what happened to me. I didn't need to go out to look for them. And then as a sponsor, one of the most important things is to not only tell my story, but to be able to listen. I need to be a listener. I tell my story as I listen and encourage a sponsee to tell their story. I want them to know that I have been there. I mean, that's the only way I was going to listen to a sponsor is to know that they had been there, they had done what I'd been, they, you know what I mean, that they had been where I had been and they were now on the other side showing me how. I wasn't ready to hear the instructions. You know, for most of us, we all want to jump in to, to how it works. We want to know what it is. And for most of us as sponsors, I don't know about you all, someone calls me on the phone, I'm going to say, let's get down to it. Let's get to the solution. But we can't skip the identifying in. It's so important that I hear their story and they hear themselves say their story, and we recommit to the powerlessness and the nature of this disease, and we identify in. That is absolutely key, in my humble opinion. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Amy. Thank you so much. Okay, who would like to share on what was read? This is Bella. Can I share? Charles H. Leah M. Okay, here's who I here's, here's who I have. I heard Bella. I heard I think I heard Nessa. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe not. Did did I Nessa? Okay. And then I heard how can I not hear Charles? And and Leah's voice rings through my head anyway, so I heard her. Who else? Maybe we'll take one more. Holly. Okay, I, I heard a bunch. I'm just gonna. I, sorry to the rest of you guys. I'll give you a step ten to do later. Um, Holly, we'll go with you and. Maybe the rest can stay on for the uh, the next hour. Bella, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Bella G, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Larry, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Being careful not to moralize or lecture. Yes, this is a reminder, a reminder for me that this program is, all about sharing my experience, strength, and hope. I am not better than nobody else, and I am not smarter, and there is no, you know, there, it's not a program of I am a teacher and you are my student, I am a therapist and you are my patient. We are all at the same boat. And it's a reminder again, you know, that I am not having the power and I will be the only person that they are going to change you or to change the world. I am here to give over the message of God and the message is that I can share my experience, strength and hope and yes, part of sharing is to be able to listen to you, to listen without blaming and judging and this is the program not of being better than somebody else and in competition. We are all the same. And yes, me as a sponsor, it doesn't mean that I am better than you. It means that I have experience living the 12 steps every day, one day at a time, and I am willing and I want to share my experience, strength, and hope. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And Nessa, followed by Charles. Good morning, Nessa. Hi, good morning. This is Nessa, our recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. So um, these pages were written um, at a time when there was little fellowship. People weren't really coming into Alcoholics Anonymous. People were 
being recruited into Alcoholics Anonymous. And of course, we have a much bigger fellowship and people come in on their own. And when I came in, I knew within 10 minutes of being at my very first meeting that I was a compulsive overeater. Um, I didn't understand why. uh, And it, it took nine years for me to learn about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. But I knew that I was a compulsive overeater and I had an addiction to food. And so it would be natural for me to believe that, you know, as a sponsor or as an old comer, if you will, that just the the mere fact that a person is coming into OA, that they have admitted, that they have identified in. And that's not really the case at all. Um, And so these paragraphs give us instructions how to deal with the identification process not only for people in the rooms, but also people who, who meet, who, whom we meet, you know, in our daily lives. And it's telling us don't pontificate about the solution, you know, because until a person recognizes and admits that they have a problem, they have no need for a solution. And even when somebody comes in, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they've done that. You know, when somebody comes into a room now and they see me, they see a middle-aged woman in a normal body. And I would say if, if it was me, my, my initial reaction would be like, what do you know about the way I eat? How, what do you know about the way I feel? You know, when somebody perceives me, they don't realize that I've been where they've been and I felt what they felt and I've done what they've done. You know, so they need to identify. They need to identify in. They need to see that. I have had their same story. And so this is why we need to tell people about our experiences with food. You know, not only, okay, well, I used to be 200 pounds overweight, now I'm not, so let's get on with the steps, right? It's not like that. They really, really have to identify and they really have to understand that if I, um, if I had done what they've done and now I'm recovered, that it's possible for them. But that won't happen until they have bought into the fact that they, just like me, have more than a problem with food. Um, it, is, it, is, it is a disease, and the identifying in process has to take place long before we even introduce a solution, and I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Nessa. So we have Charles followed by Leah. What's up, Charlie Brown? Hey, what's up, Larry K., man? Thank you for your service. Charles, <laughs> Charles H., a recovered composer over here. Be careful never to moralize or lecture. Man, that's just so so good. You know, yesterday I was talking about um, the way Dr. Bob and Bill W. came at um, Bill D. And I, and, I, and I had the opportunity to try that on a, on a, pro, on a potential prospect, but I, but I listened first. That, that was the key, the pause. I listened. The, guy, the gentleman talked for a while. And you know what? Like, I, 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 I did the script right from um, Alcoholics Number 3. And he was like, thank, thank you so much, Charles. And, you know, here, you know my, I know your number, and I'll get back to you if I'm a real alcoholic. And that just that leads me to uh, more about alcoholism. This is just great. Where it says, how then shall we help our reader determine to their own satisfaction whether they are one of us? The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful but we think we can render an even greater service to the alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity, so we shall describe some of the mental states 
that precedes a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of our problem, more about alcoholism. So we don't even know. I don't know about you, but I'm not a psychic. So I don't know if this person is a real alcoholic. But if I listen, if I learn to listen and listen and learn, you know, things, things kind of work out. Yo, it was, the, it was the smoothest transition I ever had. I did not fight it. I did not try to twist nobody's arm. Because if, when I used to do that, and I'll admit I used to do that, um, I was sicker than that person that I thought was sicker than me. So, you know, when I follow these instructions, we talked about it last week, precisely to the, to the T, yo, things just work out. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Charles. We got Leah followed by Holly. Leah, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much, Larry, for your service. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. Um, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. I mean, these are very specific um, instructions that the big book offers. I'm building a relationship at this point. Um, I'm, you know, I, I often say that I'm, you know, uh, putting a worm on the hook and just kind of throwing it out and slowly reeling it in through friendship you know, through a relationship. This is a very skilled technique um, that the big book talks about, and it was a hard lesson that was learned from Bill because in Bill's, you know, in Bill's own early efforts at 12-step work, at the end of six months of teaching and preaching and offering the solution straight up, you know, grabbing men by their shirt collars off to the bar stools and, and you know, speaking about, uh, you know, absolute truth and absolute love, et cetera, um, nobody sobered up. And it was Dr. William Silkworth who suggested that he'd been putting the cart before the horse. Instead of preaching about the spiritual solution at this point, please, Bill, focus the alcoholic's attention on the double-edged sword. Tell your story. Tell your story. Tell him about the obsession of the mind that condemns you to drink. Tell him about the allergy of the body where you can't stop. And that is the identification process that works. You know, that process works because we speak a language of the heart here. You know, we speak a language of the heart. I just look at us who are recovered, who are carrying the message as God's agents. God uses recovered people. We are necessary, but we're not sufficient to make any change that a person makes, but we can be a catalyst. I mean, just look at it on the line. You know, everybody's on the line here. They're all hearing the same words. There are hundreds who listen. Do all people recover? No. Why not? They all listen to the same thing because the words have to hit something in an individual to provoke a change or a response, and that's God's work. <laughs> to me, you know, all I can do is share my story. I love the way the big book puts it on page 124 for us sponsors. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, so I have to remember where all this is coming from, in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. So yes, I am recovered, and yes, I've been given the power to help other people. Um, and it's a responsibility, it's a duty, and it's a pleasure, but it's also a technique, and I have to respect the process here. And with that, I pass. Thank you. 
Thank you, Leah. So we have Holly. I'm not sure if we'll have time for you, Melissa, but we'll see. Hollywood, what's going on? Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service, and I appreciate the opportunity to share. Um, I will just briefly identify I'm new in, in uh, um, a vision for you. I'm not new to OA. Um, probably have been in and out of the doors for 25 years. And, um, and it's taken about two years for me to be willing to um, take in a vision for you on, on a, I guess, a lower level as, uh, as I hear in this room. And um, I'm going to go back to reference, if he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him and then tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. Um, I would just like to say as a, um, a newcomer to a vision for you that um, I'm just hearing a tremendous amount of hope that I've not heard. Um, I've been so discouraged and um, believing there is something more out there but not being able to, um, you know, fully internalize the message of how sick I am, how sick I can be, and how um, debilitating this disease is. Um, And then maybe not hearing the message clearly. And um, I tell you, I am not visiting my doctor today uh, for more medication for depression. I'm on the phone with my sponsor, and I'm willing to do what she's telling me to do. And uh, God, I hope I will do that again today. Um, so all I can speak of is from my own experience as a newcomer, um, I'm, man, I'm willing. And um, without that, I don't, I don't think any of this is going to work, no matter how much information I'm, I'm being given. So uh, I thank you for your service, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Holly. Hey, Melissa, you want to take a couple minutes if you're there? Melissa. Okay. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. Melissa, hang out for the next uh, hour if you if you'd like to. Um, thank you to everyone who has shared, and please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And we're now going to close from a reading uh, from the Big Book on page 164, uh, followed by the Serenity Prayer. So let me ask um, Hoodie, are you there to read page 164? I certainly am. Good morning, Larry. Um, My name is Hoodie, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Israel. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you will find You find, and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.